I think it's my first sermon this year. Thank you for your prayers. My family's doing fine. And none of us have coronaviruses, coronaviruses, coronavirus, because I, I got tested and, you know, I'm clear. I have the results if you want to see it. So um, I haven't preached in the last two weeks. So the first sermon in 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. It is great to be back preaching, uh, preaching to you right during this worship service. Um, because, you know, I haven't preached in a couple of weeks, I, for, I, I forgot to, not forgot, I didn't have the opportunity to share like a miraculous thing that happened to me in the last couple of weeks of last year. Um, and that miraculous thing that happened to me that made 2020, 2020 very memorable for me is the prayer meeting that I led um, on the third week of December. Um, Pastor William was on a break then, so he asked me to lead the prayer meeting, so I did. Um, and what we did in that prayer meeting on the third week of December, third Tuesday of December, is that t- two of my brothers and I, June and Josh, we opened up Psalm 149, and we, and we just t- studied it verse by verse. To be honest, when we first came, you could tell that none of us wanted to be there, right? You could tell, because I'm tired, they're tired. But a miraculous thing happened when we studied verse by verse. These things that we were talking about, it became true to us. Psalm 149 is about how God takes people who are afflicted with pain and misery and sin. And he raises them up and he beautifies them, which means he takes them. He he wipes the pain and the sorrow out of them and he holds them in such a beautiful position. And we also talked about the privileges that come from those whom God beautifies. And as we were talking about how God did this to us and all the blessings that God has given to those people like us, the promises of Scripture became alive. And our hearts were filled with such joy. June cried. (laughs) And I did too. And it is in that moment I understood. Assurance of things hope for the thing that hope for are things that we that have not yet happened yet but we know that they will happen the assurance of things that will happen is hope and when christians are assured that god is going to give us what he promised we have joy I have a pastor friend, and he ministers to an immigrant community, right? Like a poor Korean community. And these people that he, his flock are not like us. You know, we're like yappies, right? Young Asian professionals, right? And then the people who married young urban professionals, we're all yappies, right? We all have 401k plans. We all have health insurance. But his congregation, they don't have health insurance. They have no idea what a 401k plan is. They wake up early, go to work. Go to work in positions that that society does not regard very highly. They have no voice in society because society ignores them. And they live such physically and and economically draining existence. And so this pastor, he loves his flock so much. He wants to encourage them, encourage their lives. So a lot of, many of his sermons are focused on how God can make a difference in their lives in this world. That God is going to solve their problems for them. That God is going to bless their children in this world. 
because he knows his congregation is weary, he wants to encourage them by saying, God will deliver you in this world. I don't question his sincerity, and I don't question his love for his people. And certainly, God does provide for his people. That's what, I mean, I I got stories to tell of how God has delivered me over and over again in this world miraculously. And some, some of it I shared with you. God is active in my life. He really is. He delivers me from problems that were undeliverable in my mind. Things happen to me in this life that I can only attribute to God. And that's true. But the joy does not come everlasting joy, the, the, the joy that wells your heart with tears, it doesn't come when you merely know God will save, God will deliver you economically in this world. It is tied to the certainty of what Christ has done for you and what Christ will do for you. Maybe you are listening to the sermon this morning with the hope that good old Pastor Jay will tell you something to uplift you in your current predicament. But I'm here to tell you, you may feel good when I say positive things, but that's not going to give you joy. Joy comes in the certainty of knowing what Christ has done for you, and what he will do for you. That's what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, as we haven't said in a couple of weeks, let it recap, is Paul's writing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he was writing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because there were some people in the church, in the church in Corinth, that believed in God, that's why they were there, believed they liked the teachings of Paul, but they didn't believe someone could be raised from the dead. So they were having a type of Christianity that is absent in the belief of the resurrection. They liked certain things, And they call themselves Christians, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. Paul is correcting them. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then what you're believing is nonsense. It's a waste of time. If Christ did not actually raise from the dead, then you are all fools, and I'm a fool for doing it. If you don't believe in the resurrection, there's no reason for you to be here. If Jesus Christ didn't actually raise from the dead, there's no reason for you to be here. But Paul says in verse 20, but in fact, he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's the fact that he did. It's a historic fact confirmed by witnesses, a fulfillment of scriptural prophecy. It's a fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He was dead on a cross. Physically, he was dead. Three days later, he was raised to life and being given a glorified body. This happened. It's a historic fact, Paul says, just as Donald Trump was a president of the United States, right? just as Barack Obama was a president of the United States, just as Pastor Ujin is married to Grace, it's a fact that he was raised from the dead. What is the significance of this? I remember one Christian telling me, You know, I I guess I believe that Christ died for me and he was raised, but I don't know what benefit is that to me. Right? I see a lot of Christians, right? Even maybe some of you. Okay, what is the fact that he died for me and raised for me, like factually raised for me? Well, how does that benefit me? Paul in verse 20 teaches you how that benefits you. 
Number one, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and given a glorified body, it proves Jesus Christ is, 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 is who he say he is. His resurrection proves that everything that, talked about, that was talking to, about him in scripture is true. He is exactly who he says he is. That's what the resurrection proves. What is it that the scripture tells us who he is? Jesus Christ is a creator of all things. It is through him all things were created. I'm a geek, and I'm moving my interest from Star Wars, sorry, Sean Stark, into quantum physics. I'm just into quantum physics. I don't know why. And the area of things that, like, and the one thing about quantum physics that really encouraged me this week was called sting, string theory. You know what string theory is? String theory is like a very broad theory in physics. It has, sometimes it has to do with cosmology, and sometimes it has to do with quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is a study of the, 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 the building blocks of existence. So according to the quantum mechanics, you know, quantum theory version of string theory, it goes like this. He says, under every matter, everything that you see, feel, and touch, there's a molecule. Right? It's composed of molecules. If you take the mo molecule and if you cut it and if you look inside the molecule, there is an atom. Right? Molecules are the building blocks of existence. Every molecule is built on an atom. And if you open an atom, there is neutron, protons, and electrons. And if you open those things and go to the smallest particle, that smallest particle, they don't have a name for it, so they call it a quark. So the building blocks of existence is the smallest particle called the quark. And if you open up a quark, string theory says, you find little filaments, like little strings, vibrating. And it's these vibrating strings that causes the neutrons, the electrons, the, neutron, right? the atoms, the molecules, the building blocks of existence. These vibrating strings are what makes matter exist. String, string theorists th th are saying, everything that, you, everything that is, is because these strings are vibrating. That's the unbelieving science version. Our belief is that who controls the vibrating strings? Who makes those strings vibrate so that existence can happen? It is Jesus Christ. It is his voice that makes those strings vibrate so that existence can be. He is who he says he is. He causes the strings to vibrate so that things can exist. Einstein believed in this. Einstein believed in God. He didn't believe in Jesus Christ, but he believed in the God of order. He believed in the God of, you know, physical equations. He didn't believe in a personal God who intervened. So I think Einstein would have no problem with what I just said, that God is the one who vibrates the string. But Jesus Christ being raised from the dead also not only says Jesus Christ is creator of all things, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He came into this world 2,000 years ago. The God beyond time and space, the one who controls the strings, entered into our time and space and became man. That God, the controller of strings, walked amongst us. Why? So that he can come to rescue his people from their sins. The controller of strings not only walked amongst us, he died the death that you and I should die because of our sins. As a penalty for the sins that you and I commit and all his people commit, to pay the price for that, Jesus Christ died 
Not only did he die, he was raised to life. The raising of Jesus Christ to eternal life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important because that resurrection is a sign that what Jesus has accomplished on the cross satisfies God's judgment. His resurrection, when Jesus was resurrected, God looked at that resurrection and says, I approve of what my son did on the cross. Not only is the resurrection the approval that what he did for us was satisfied, it shows us that Jesus Christ has conquered death. And those who belong to him will not die. As certain, Jesus Christ's resurrection is saying, as certain as he who says he is, the resurrection proves that. The resurrection also shows that people who are in him will not die. What is the benefit of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection? The benefit for us is we will not die. Death is no longer the power that is over us. Death is not our destiny. Eternal life is. And that will happen. That's what what Paul is trying to say in, in verse 20. Let's go to verse 20. But in fact, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It says Jesus Christ is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. What does it mean by first fruit? This is an agricultural term in the Old Testament. In in Leviticus, is it Leviticus? Leviticus 23, verse 10, it says, When you reap the harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. So Leviticus is saying, when, you are, when you're a farmer, and when you, during the harvest season, bring the first crop, the first fruit of the crop to the priest so they can dedicate it to God. The first fruit is the first crop of the harvest. And they are to bring these first fruits to the, to the priest and lift it up to worship because this is recognizing a couple of things. Number one, the God is the one who provided this crop to the, to the farmer. And number two, you're, not only are you recognizing this crop comes from God, but number two, you are also recognizing that, God, that similar other, after this crop is raised up, other crops like this crop will follow suit in the harvest. That this first crop is a symbol of all the other crops that's to follow that season. Do you understand? And you are recognizing to God, not only have you given given me this crop, but you're going to bless me with similar crops to come. That's the definition of first fruits. And what Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying here is, when Christ was raised from the dead and given a glorified body, this is the sign of what all all the believers who will come after him will become. As Christ was raised in a glorified body, that's the existence, that's the destiny, that's a certain destiny of all who believe in him. He says those who have fallen asleep. The fallen asleep means death. Paul doesn't call Christians death, death. He calls it fallen asleep because he knows that death is not the final existence for the believer. The final existence for the believer is the glorified body. We are going to get a glorified body, just like Jesus' glorified body, when he returns. We will not die. I know death has been on our minds the last year. Coronavirus? We hear death stories all the time. Some of you have experienced death in your family. Death is ever around us. Yesterday I met with a person and like, you know, I had to say goodbye and like, 
I kind of say, eh, I want to give that person a hug. And we were kind of hesitant, afraid. But we went through it anyway. We hugged each other anyway. Very brave of me. And there was a hesitation. Because my, in our minds, we think, oh, if I hug this guy, if he gives me a coronavirus, then I'll die. Right? That's the fear. Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, do not be afraid. He's saying, not saying be reckless and don't wash your hands and don't wear a mask. He's not saying that. But he's saying, do not be afraid of death. Because for the believer, death is mere sleep. And when you wake up, you will be with the presence of God. Side note, this is what's going to happen to the, to the believers who die. When we die, we open our, and when he, when our, we open our eyes and we will be with God the Father and the Son. We will be in their presence. Everyone, every Christian who has fallen asleep is with God right now. But when Jesus Christ returns, those who have died before us, and if we, and if we have died, those who are now with God right now, when Jesus Christ returns, God's going to give everyone who, are, who is in him a glorified body. So the people in heaven right now, with the Father right now, are waiting for Christ's return so that they will be raised up with a glorified body. Paul is saying, as certain as Jesus Christ has been raised, you too will be raised. That's your factual destiny. What are you afraid of in this life? Failure? Death? You do not need to be afraid of those things anymore because they are not the end of you. The end of you is glory. The end of you is glory. Do you know? That will happen. That's Paul's point. A very famous preacher called D.L. Moody. He was a very famous preacher in the early, early 20th century. And this is what he says. He says, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield, England, is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Tia Moody says, when people tell you that I'm dead, don't believe it. After I die, I will be more alive than any of you. Christian, that is your destiny. Christian joy comes when you are certain of this promise. No other thing can give you everlasting joy but the understanding of this truth. The glory is waiting for you in eternity. Do not be so overwhelmed with the happenings of your life in this world because it will pass. And the eternity, and what is eternal will come. Paul says that's a fact. Pray that you will believe in this promise. Pray. From the certainty of the resurrection in verse 20. What time is it? Oh, I'm doing well. From the promises of eternity that Paul writes in verse 20. He talks about why death came into the world and how God and why Christ needed to come. That's what he's talking about in verse 21 and 22. For to verse 21, he says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, also in Christ shall be made alive. 
Paul is, Paul is explaining why death came. How did death, not why, how, how did death came? Death came because one man in one moment of time disobeyed God. One man in one moment of time said, the commandments are God are not relevant to me. I'm going to make my own decisions. So he disobeyed God. And because one man disobeyed, all his progeny, all the descendants after him were also guilty of his sin. Look, death is a certainty, right? What is the possibility of death for you? 100%. You will die. People die all the time. In this very moment, some people, people are dying in the world right now. Death is a certainty. Death is a certainty. But that's not how things were naturally designed. Death is a certainty. But that was not always the case. Isn't it interesting that we all know that death is a certainty? But when death happens, we mourn as if it is something unnatural, right? We know people die. People die all the time. But when death visits our family, we mourn as if it is not natural. And I think it is because somewhere in our souls we know that we weren't supposed to die. There's something about us that knows that death is not natural. Even though death is clearly natural in the world, there is something about us that knows this is not supposed to happen like this. Why did death come into the world? Because one man disobeyed. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Why does death come into the world? Because one man sinned, and everyone that is connected to this one man is also guilty of that man's sin. Death is related to sin. Sin causes death. How does sin enter into the world? Through one man's disobedience. And all of us who are connected to him were also guilty of his sin and also corrupted by his sin. People tell me, unbelievers say, Christianity is illogical and unfair because how can everyone be guilty of Adam's sin? I don't, I've never met Adam. Have you? In fact, I don't think I, I know one Adam in my life. How many Adams do you know? You've never met the guy. And yet, Christianity is saying, because of that guy, death and misery happen in this world, and you too are guilty of that guy's sin. It's unfair. As my children would say, it's unfair. I think people who think this are underestimating how all of us are connected. We think that we're all individual vessels that is disconnected from one another. That's not true. We're connected. Everything that we do affects others. It, it really does. Do you know this uh, theory called butterfly theory? Right? Butterfly theory is this. It's a form of chaos theory, and it goes like this. If you go back in time, and if someone steps on a butterfly during the dinosaur days, right? If someone just steps on a butterfly, one butterfly, seemingly unrelated to your life now, if someone steps on the butterfly, then that's going to raise cause a chain of events that's going to change the fabric of existence. One seemingly independent, outside of you occurrence can have detrimental effect on you personally. We're all connected. We're like computer programs. 
every computer code is dependent upon other codes. If one co code is corrupt, then all the system is corrupt. We are all connected. Adam, our ancestor, was the source code. That's the code in which all other codes are built. When Adam becomes corrupted, all the other codes that is connected to Adam, they become corrupted. Do you understand? Adam's corruption becomes our corruption. What Adam did becomes what we did because we're all connected to him. He sinned, therefore we all sin. And because we all sin, death happens. And I got a first glimpse of sin this week. Ironically, when did the, like, the invasion of the White House happen? Thursday? It happened Thursday, right? Wednesday, Thursday? Wednesday, Thursday. So the, the, the day when the, not the White House invasion, the Capitol, Capitol invasion happened, I was at a store. Right? I was at a store. And, um, and you know, I was online. And there was this woman who wanted to buy alcohol. And the clerk, right, very nice young woman, and I don't know, she looked nice, I suppose, right? A young woman, how do I know she's young? She had like red hair, right? A redhead, red hair, the colored wear, not, not redhead, but like bleach redhead, bleach red hair millennial, asked this woman for an ID because she wanted to buy alcohol. And the woman says, I don't have an ID. I just have, I don't have a real ID. I have an ID that's scanned into my phone. Can I show you that? And she says, and the young millennial lady said, I'm sorry, but law says I need to see a physical ID. And the other woman says, I don't have a physical ID. I have this. And the lady says, I'm so sorry. The law is the law. And the woman who wanted to buy alcohol flipped out. She says, you are just asking me for a physical ID because of the color of my skin. You are racist. She was, like, she was like yelling at this millennial for being a racist, for asking her to, to present a physical ID. And the lady goes, you're a racist. Da, da, da. And I said, I see you. Like, I saw you, like the lady, a couple of ladies before me. You didn't ask for her ID. The couple of ladies before her was like clearly elderly. Right? And she says, well, the clerk says, well, it was clear that she was, she was over 21. And the lady says, well, that's unacceptable. Not only are you a racist, you are an ageist. And I go, I was like looking at this, I go, really? So this poor clerk got accused in front of all the store of being a racist and, a, and an ageist. Clearly, racism and ageism exist. But I don't think it was warranted at that moment. Why did a lady go there? Why did a lady accuse the, this nice young millennial clerk of being a racist and an ageist? Why? Because she's not getting what she wants. She wanted alcohol, and the, lady, and the clerk refused. Because she's not getting what she wants, wanted, she uses the most hurtful, condemning thing that she can think of and just pours it on that lady. That's the same day that these right-wingers invaded the Capitol. Why did they invade the Capitol? It's because the president they wanted to get elected wasn't elected. And why is that important? They, I don't think it's because they were like really, they really love Trump, but they were afraid that the new administration and the new Senate is going to pass laws that's going to hinder their freedom. They're afraid that the communists are going to take it over. They are, because Fox News continually tells them that they, they are. And they're afraid that their rights are going to be taken away that Donald Trump was a gatekeeper of, of the barbarians taking their rights away. They got desperate. They got angry. That's why they did that foolish thing. 
Why did they do what they did? Because they didn't get their way. These two incidences happened at the same day for me. People condemning, using violence, condemning other people because they're not getting their way. And you see this all the time. You see this in your family. You see this in you. I see it in me. Condemning and judging and hurting because we're not getting our way. Why are we like this? Because we're connected to Adam. What is certain is the people die, and what is also certain is people are corrupt. There's no exception to these two things. People die and will die, and people are and will be corrupt. Paul is saying these things are connected. Not only are they connected, they're in a causal relationship. Because of our corruption, there is death. Do you understand? Being connected to Adam has real-life consequences. The Bible is not just the mere theory of life. It is explaining what is happening in our world. People are dying because they're corrupt. Look, the Korean political party, that's the ruling political party in Korea, you know what, they, what these people were when they were younger? They were, they were students fighting for equality. Korea in 1970s, 1980s were controlled by this really, like, some would say fascist president, right, who was using military power to promote his agenda. And these student activists in the 1970s and 80s demonstrated, wrote articles for, for democracy, for equality. These freedom fighters, these idealistic young men and women who went to jail for their beliefs, who went to jail for democracy, are now people in power in Korea. And do you know what these once former idealistic young men and women are doing? They're corrupt as anything. Just as the people they were condemning when they were younger, they become such people. They use their power for their self-gain. When they're younger, they thought they could be moral, fair, equitable people. But when they become in position of power, corruption happens. No matter what your ideas of you think you have about yourself, the reality, I'm so sorry to say, the reality is because all of us were once connected to Adam, we're all corrupt. And their corruption is causing death. But Paul is saying, just as death came by one man, by another man has come the resurrection of the dead. The man that Paul talks about is Jesus Christ. The human Jesus Christ came into the world he obeyed God's command. Adam could not obey God's command. Jesus Christ, as man, obeyed God's command. And because he did, those who are connected to him are no longer connected to Adam. And when you are connected to him, you will no longer die. You will be raised to life, just as he has been raised to life. Do you understand? That's what Christianity is. All of us were once connected to Adam. And as a result of that connection, corruption and death. But when we come into living faith in Jesus Christ, we are connected to Christ. It's a changing of connection. We are not connected to Christ. And when we are connected to Christ, all the benefits that come from that connection, we reap. What is the connection that comes when we are connected to Christ? Forgiveness of sins. God considering, ourselves, God considering us righteous and acceptable and the resurrection of our bodies. Just as this world is corrupt and dead, 
those who are connected in Christ are forgiven, are righteous, and will be raised to life. That's what Christianity is. Changes in connection. The question is, which one are you connected to right now? Which one are which are you connected to Adam or are you connected to Christ? I know we profess that we're connected to Christ and not Adam. And I know and, and I believed you. But the Bible tells evidence that there is evidence of your connection. Right? Connection unfolds in our reality. Who we are connected to unfolds in our reality. Regardless of what we say we are, the fruit of our lives, right, shows who we are connected to. I know while we live in this earth, we all struggle with sin. We all do. And we will all die, and that's all true. But while we live on this earth, There's a fruit that comes when you're connected. What are the evidence that you're connected to Christ? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 2 says, the way you know that you're connected to Christ is if you hold fast to the gospel. That if you truly hold on to the gospel and do not waver from it, if the gospel continuously to continuously define you as a person and that identity is deepening every day, that's how, no, that's how you know you're connected. Does the gospel, are you holding on to the gospel? Meaning, is your identity really self-identity based on the gospel? Or is it based on some other form of identity? like who you are married to, what your job is, who your parents are. What's your identity? People who are in Adam, they find things of this life to define them. That's what Adam people do. But Christ people define themselves in their relationship with Christ. Who, are, who, who do you say you are? Look, during the break, I had an opportunity to like, talk to some of our congregation members and some of the couple of them are going through this horrendous thing that is happening to their parents. And I was worried that these tragic events that is happening to their parents will somehow taint their faith, make them, make them doubt their faith. I was worried. So I called them and I had a call, chat with them. But for some reason, this, these tragic events not only not took away their faith, but I can see it, God using it to deepen their faith in Christ. It's an amazing thing to see. This unspeakable tragedy that they're going through made them hold on to the gospel even more. That's how you know what you're connected to, who you're connected to. What are you defining yourself as? Another evidence of the fact that you're connected to Christ is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says the Holy Spirit dwells with you. Is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, ministering to you, changing you, letting you overcome your sins? If you're connected to Christ, Christ sends his Holy Spirit to minister to you. And when he ministers to you you, you, you become awake and you overcome these gloomy darkness that you're in. Look, my life right now is like constant. I go to deep, dark places. I do, right? A couple of weeks ago, like I was in a dark place. If you don't let me preach, I go to a dark place. I was in a dark place, right? And then God took me out. And now I'm excited and I'm clear. It's really, it's like that. I'm in darkness and then he brings me out. I'm in darkness, he brings me out. It's a cycle. That's how the Holy Spirit ministers to you. Is he ministering to you? A couple of days ago, I was like, just like sitting on my couch, lying on my couch with my wife. And suddenly, like, I had, an, I had, a, I had a realization about my wife. 
And that realization made me more loving to her, made me understand her better. It's really weird. And I don't know where that came from. I kind of know where it came from. I was just lying there, watching Fox News, right, and getting angry. And then suddenly, this understanding about my wife, whom I've lived with for the past 21 years, new things I understand about her, that causes me to be more gentle and kind. Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit ministering to you? That's how you know you're connected. Are you growing in love, 1 Corinthians 13? Are you, are you inhabiting the fruits of love as defined in 1 Corinthians 13? That's how you know you're connected to Christ. For example, are you more prone to forgive or are you more prone to condemn? Are you more prone to keep records of wrong or are you prone to not keep records of wrong? Are you prone to fits of rage or are you prone to patience? That's how you know who you're connected to. My dear friends, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Just as death is a reality, corruption is a reality, salvation and fruit is also a reality. What is the defining reality of your life? You know? If you are in Adam, Pray that you be connected to Christ. Parents. I love, uh, it's great that your kids are born, it's a blessing that your kids are born into your families. They are. To a Christian church environment, it is a blessing to be born in that environment. But with all kindness and respect, just because your kid, your children are born into your family, and that's a great blessing to be, it doesn't mean that they're automatically connected to Christ, right? There is no, no such thing as being born connected to Christ. Koreans think that way. I had faith when I was inside my mom's womb. No, you weren't. In your mom's womb, you are connected to Adam. I'm really sorry to say, your children and my children, they're, all, they're born connected to Adam. And our church can do a good job, and as we should, teaching your children about the gospel and the Bible and Noah and Moses and all that stuff. But unless God miraculously intervenes in the life of your children, they will still be connected to Adam. That's why when you pray for your children, I know praying for your kid to get into, I don't know, Harvard is important. I know it. And I know praying for your kid's future spouses are important. I know it. Because, you know, my mother-in-law prayed for me for like 20 years. Prayers come true. Amen, right? These are all important, but the most important thing is you got to pray that your kids will be connected to Christ and not Adam. It takes God's intervention for them to be connected to Christ and not Adam. When you pray for your children, that's what you need to pray for. Because when they are connected to Christ, they will be made righteous and they will never die. It's a certainty. Pray that God will make your identity sure. Pray that God will make your future destiny sure in your mind so that you will have everlasting joy. Let us pray.
Father, it's a strange thing being a human being. Even though death is everywhere and it is a natural fact of life. And even though human corruption or sin is everywhere and is a natural, natural part of life, people don't make the connection between the two. Even though it is evident by the, by the way people live that they are corrupt and, sin, and, and we sin and we cause such misery and damage, we still believe, Lord, that we are naturally good. What you have shown us this, this morning is that death happens in this world because of human sin and corruption as a result of us being connected to Adam. The spirit of disobedience in Adam is alive and well in our world, in our, in our personal lives. Because we're connected to Adam, the fruit of that connection is being evident in the world and in, our, in, 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 the, in the lives around us. But a certain, certain as the fruit of Adam's connection is, is visible and real, what is also real is the deliverance of what we experience when we're connected to Christ. In Christ, we are made, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are made righteous. In Christ, we will be resurrected. In Christ, the Holy Spirit ministers to us. It is our prayer this morning that you clearly reveal who we, whom we are connected to. And if some of us are connected to Adam, make it clear to us that we are so that we will repent and be connected to the living Christ. May our children, who are all connected to Adam by their natural birth, be connected to Christ. We assume they are because we want them to be connected to Christ, but Lord, that may not be true. We pray our children will be the children of God. They will be connected to Christ. We pray for those of us who are suffering with people, with parents who are in hospitals. We pray, Lord, that the gospel will be preached to those parents so that those parents will have eternal hope. We pray for healing of those parents who are ill. For those of us who are going through different types of struggles, may the certainty of the promises of God give them hope beyond all hope. Provide for things that we are missing. Provide the things that we need. But most importantly, provide us with an eternal hope that is found in Christ alone. All these things. In Jesus' name we pray.